You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Wonderful to see you. Hi, Steve. <laughs> it's Kel and Steve not to be here this morning uh, with you, especially with our great friends, Kevin and Cindy here. Um, I want to introduce them. First, I want to say thank you to all that participated in our great teas. Three teas. This room was packed three times over the weekend. Cindy ministered amazingly, and we will have that one of those um, teas up online uh, early this week, so you'll be able to go online and, and listen to that. But uh, I get to introduce Kevin and Cindy. They're dear, dear friends of ours, and we met clear back in 1984. They were fresh out of ORU, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, we were on staff with them at a large church in Southern California and on eldership, a team for many, many years. And uh, these, are the, these are the kind of friendships that are like gold. You know, you have a handful of friendships in your life that you've been together for decades. You've been through thick and thin. You've cried together. You've laughed together. And um, we've ministered with Kevin and Cindy all over the world and all over the country. And uh, they've been here, so you know them. But, uh, and we've been to their church. And we partner together, our churches, and um, partner with the New Covenant Ministries International team, which they were on, stepped off for health reasons and for building their church. But um, wonderful couple that I admire and respect. And every time we go to Turning Point Church in Norco, we get lots of good ideas and we steal them. And we bring them back, right back here. They are high-capacity people. They, um, they are, are now on their second church. They planted two churches, built them to thriving communities. We love Kevin and Cindy. Kevin, um, just he has uh, this, um, this condition where he will pass a dozen or more kidney stones a year. And uh, they have actually in, uh, and he doesn't like this, and I'm saying this, but um, yeah, he wins in this department. But they have actually, they study him in medical journals because of, of and uh, so God has done something in him through this, this thorn in the flesh. We've been with him when uh, he's been in writhing pain and, you know, prayed for him over the years. So that's one of the things that we have uh, gone through together. And uh, pray for his healing, complete healing. We're still praying for that. So Kevin and Cindy, why don't you both come on up and share with us. When you said you've been with us when he's had stones, I had a flashback of a time when we were actually in a car traveling with Steve and Terry across uh, the country of South Africa. Uh, we had been at a team time together at a resort out in the middle of nowhere, and everybody else flew to the next location. But we decided we were going to do the tourist thing and drive to the next location. So out in the middle of nowhere, I mean, there's no place to get gas or anything. You would have thought the worst part was Kevin was passing a kidney stone in the back seat. But the worst part was we got off on some country road and weren't so sure. Yeah, you know, Mr. Steve had his GPS. Okay, Steve, you, I remember. You had your GPS going in certain parts of Africa. But do you remember that we were coming up on this stretch and all of a sudden we noticed there were guys on both sides of the road with machine guns. And we were like, go, Steve, go, don't stop, keep driving. And Kevin was moaning and going. And we got ourselves in such pickle that day. So uh, we have we have laughed. We have been through it all with one another, and uh, seen our kids born and grow up. And wow, God has done so much. I just, I was sitting on the front row. I told all the ladies this weekend. This has been the best 
year, hands down, the best year of my life. God has blessed, blessed the socks off of me. And uh, I was sitting there, and I heard God say to me, put on your seatbelt, Cindy, because 2017 is going to be uh, warp speed. Mm. It's going to be light speed. You know how in Star Wars where they go fast and, mm-hmm. the, and the stars go behind you? So, And I want to say that to you too, church, because all weekend long, God's been unfolding a prophetic word in me for Westside Church, and, it, and that is that every single thing he has promised to you, he will do down to the letter he will do it and uh, the word that came to me was joshua 24 on five occasions in this passage he says the lord your god has fought for you and he will do what he has promised but in verse 14 it says know with all your hearts this is not just for the church as a whole this is for you as individuals promises that god has made to you some of them decades ago that now are going to come to fruition And the Lord is saying, you know with all your hearts, you're going to know with all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord has spoken concerning you. Every single word has come to pass. Not one of them have failed. It all has come. He says it over and over. He wants to make it clear. It's all going to come to pass. All the good things that the Lord has promised so that the Lord will get all the glory. And I love that because I would rather the Lord wait and do what he wants to do in my life. And I don't mind waiting if he's going to get more glory. And I, I too, I love it when I know I couldn't have ever done this without him. I couldn't have ever accomplished this without him. So my word to you, Westside Church, is dream bigger dreams. Because God wants to do above and beyond what you're asking or thinking. Ephesians 3.20. And the picture, if I could, for all you right brain people, I'm going to give you a little picture. This is what the Lord planted in my heart this morning. And that was those moving sidewalks, those long moving sidewalks in the airport. And there's always those souls who want to step on the outside of them and and carry their luggage and get the extra exercise and get their uh, striving on their own. But us wise ones, we get on that moving sidewalk and we get there a lot easier and a lot faster. And so I believe the Lord is saying to you that this next phase for the church is going to come easier. It's going to come faster. And it's going to be more fruitful than you've ever experienced. Mm. And Steve, you think the building's going to cost $5 million and God says it's going to be $1 million in Jesus' name. Mm. Mm. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. oh, that's your notes. Yeah. <laughs> that's my wife, Cindy. If you want to follow her on Twitter, she's a holy lady, I think it is. Holy. Holy Lady is her uh, Twitter Twitter address. She does like a, a, a um, uh, almost like like a devotional in the morning. She always sends out a good word and so forth. And uh, if you want to follow her, you can uh, check it out, Holy Lady. But uh, we we I want to echo what uh, Terry said. We absolutely love this church. We love you guys so much. We pray for you. You guys may not realize it, but you got another church praying for you on the other side of California. And uh, we lift you guys up and, and believe God for you guys' destiny as well. Um, I've said a lot of things about this church in the prior services, but I do want to say a couple of remarks about it just because I don't know. Not, there's not a complete overlap. There's some people here that haven't heard us this weekend. And uh, I just want to say that as far as Cindy and I are concerned, we feel like you guys have just such a tremendous quality of church here. And, and I don't know that you guys all you know, would know that or really appreciate it to the degree that maybe we should. And uh, I know that all glory goes to God, and this leadership is tremendous about deflecting glory and deflecting uh, all the accolades and so forth to the Lord. But there is something to say about giving honor where honor is due. The Lord says that um, those who labor in the word and doctrine are worthy of double honor. And um, this is a leadership team that has done well. 
and it's done well over a period of a long time. There's a, there's a big sampling that you can take of their leadership and the decisions that they've made, the way they've responded to crisis over a period of time, the kinds of leaders that they've promoted, the kinds of ministries that they've enacted and put in place to where you can look at their track history and see what they're all about. And, you know, I watched a, a, a show that does like interviews, it goes to different restaurants and so forth. And the guy was sitting down, and he was saying, you know, it's, it's fine. You can go out here, and you can order meals and so forth, and you can tell, you know, something about a restaurant by eating the meal and, and seeing how it's prepared and tasting, the, you know, how fresh it is and so forth. But he said, if you really want to see the quality of a, of a, of a true restaurant, you have to go back in the kitchen, and you have to see what, what it's like back in the kitchen. Go, go in, the, in, in the walk-in freezer and look at, their, the, at the things that they've initiated. When they buy more eggs, do they pull the old eggs forward? set the new eggs in the back so everything's being rotated constantly so the fresh things are always coming up and, and nothing's becoming stale. Is all the, uh, uh, the, the produce and so forth kept in, 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 the, in the right procedures in the right way? Do all the cooks have nets over their hair and so forth? And all these little tiny things that make a big difference that contribute to that. Sometimes you go to a restaurant and you see that letter before you walk in by the health department. You see a big A or a B or whatever. If this were... If this were uh, 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 a restaurant, a spiritual restaurant, where people come and get spiritually fed. This would be an AAA plus restaurant. Uh, 400,000 churches, and just to well do, do this quickly, 400,000 churches in America, 400,000, más o menos. And um, of those 400,000 churches, 85% of them have 250 people or less on a Sunday morning. So our perception of like the church in America is like every church is like over 1,000 people and, you know, oh my God, you know. That's not really the reality. There's, there are th- hundreds of thousands of churches across America that are just small little congregations, 50, 75 people, whatever the case may be. So you guys are already in the 15th percentile of churches in America. You're like a Fortune 500 church already. <laughs> now, George Barner, Barna is a person who does stat- stats on churches, and, he's, and he does surveys on churches. So of the 15th per- uh, percentile, that are over 250 people on a Sunday morning, only half of those are growing. The other half are either plateaued or declining. That's just the state of the church in America today. So you guys are in a very unique position. You're just not in the 15th percentile. You're in the 7th percentile now because you're a church that's actually above the 250 average on Sunday morning, and you guys are growing. Now, to make yourselves even more rare, of that 7%, only about half of those are growing through getting people saved. Many of those churches are growing because other church people are leaving. The other churches, that we, the other 85% of the churches that, that aren't doing well. And so they're leaving those churches and they're migrating to other churches. So there's a huge consolidation going on. And, uh, and that's great. That's wonderful. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's, that's tremendous. I mean, those people need to be able to find a church to go to that's alive and that's doing well. Cindy and I said, said in the first service, if we were within 60 miles of this place, we would drive to come. I mean, that, that's how quality of a church is. I don't know if you realize, just the, the, these kind of churches are hard to find. They're, they don't grow on trees. You don't just, you don't just go out, to, out and out and just pick a, you know, yellow pages and find a, a church and, and visit one, and it ended up being like this. This church leadership has an incredible capacity to it and has an incredible desire to put a ladder against a wall and help you climb as high as you possibly can go. They get a tremendous feeling of satisfaction out of your success and out of your promotion. And they're not all into themselves. They're not all egotistical. They're not 
you know, protecting their own little boundaries and uh, uh, plagued with massive insecurity. There's so many Christian leaders today that are insecure and dealing with all those kinds of things. You've got an incredible thing here, and you need to cherish it. You need to thank God for it, and you need to give God the glory for it every single day. Amen? That's right. Give the Lord praise. Babe, do you, have my, do you have my phone there? Okay, can you give me yours? So I want to do a selfie real quick. Because we're going we're gonna, to gonna put this up on our... So, okay, here we go. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, we're going to do a selfie of the church so we can put it up on the internet on our website. Ready? One, two, three, and we say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ta-da, we got it. Great. So if you go to our website later on or whatever, you can check us out. We'll have the, we'll it'll probably take us Monday or Tuesday until we get it up. But uh, you'll see yourself on our website. And uh, we like to put little things like that up, little cute things like that up, just to show people where we've been and promote you guys and let people know about you and so forth. And uh, we absolutely just love this church. We have such a heart for it. We've been with you for a lot of years. We've seen you guys grow and advance. And uh, I really believe, like Sydney said, I want to echo what she's saying. You guys have a tremendous future in store for you in the future. It's just going to be awesome. We're, we're a church that really is blessed in the way that I believe you guys are going to be blessed. We were a church that was going for 22, well, 20 years, you know, and hadn't, had, didn't have our own place. We were renting all kinds of schools, storefronts, moving all around during that, during that 20-year period of time. And finally, I won't get into all the details, but through a series of events, the Lord gifted us a church yeah. with eight acres a huge, massive uh, church building on it, a, a resource building, like an educational building, and then a brand new gym with a commercial kitchen in it. Yeah. And all decked out, and all of it had no mortgage. And the whole thing was given to us. Yeah. Didn't have to pay a cent for it. So I'm telling you, God can do those kind of things. We used to hear those stories. And we were right where you're at. We'd hear those stories and think, yeah, it's not going to happen to us. I mean, that happens to everybody else. It's not going to happen to us. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. God can do crazy things like that. So you guys need to really pray for God to do something like that for you guys. Because I believe that's in your future. I want to talk to you about missed opportunities. So the reason why I did a lot of stuff I didn't just in the beginning right now is because I didn't want to miss my opportunity. Because me standing up here this morning is my opportunity to be able to bless you. Now, Cindy and I move prophetically. So there may be a point in the service where we have you stand up and we just prophesy over you, share a little word that the Lord gave us over you. Uh, if we do that, don't get nervous. We're not going to say something that you know, reveals some deep, dark secret in your life. We believe that the, the, the gift of prophecy is for edification, exhortation. So we're going we're to prophesy over you the things that God wants to say that are good, the things that he, his heart towards you, the things that he wants to declare and wants you to know so that you can be encouraged. That's why the gift of prophecy was given to us. It was for edification, exhortation. So uh, this morning, if that happens, just don't be surprised, and just be part of the flowing that we, we try to get to uh, every service. One. Here's my phone, Cindy. Right up here. Ready to take a selfie. I just found it. I just found it. My jacket's over there. <laughs> Not that Cindy ever does that. The first service, she had her... She had her, she had her uh, she had her glasses right here during the first service while she's sitting down. She's asking the neighbor, the other lady, well, where's my glasses at? Where's my... She's going through her purse. She goes, you, do you see my glasses? Do you see my glasses? She finds her sitting right here. All right. 
Oh, it's funny. So blessed. So there's this uh, community in the East Coast, right? And uh, they're, they're a community, this is a true story, and they're a community that uh, actually is in a, in a wealthy area. So there's uh, boats in a harbor and so forth, and, uh, and uh, they're meeting there on that harbor in, in one of the boathouses, a nice place. And uh, there's 24 people there, and they're going over some of the issues that their community is dealing with. But uh, even though it's a community with a lot of, pe- with a lot of uh, resources and, and money, the projects that they have faced them are huge projects. They don't, projects that are bigger than the amount of money that they have. And so they're in a real quandary as to what they're going to do. And there's 24 people in that room that are there, but one of the people in that room, nobody knows. He's sitting in the back of the room. No one's ever seen him before. He just happened to show up that day. And since it's an open meeting, he's allowed to be there. And so he's sitting in the back of the room while everyone's talking and, and going over the problems. They'll announce the situation, and they'll all talk, and then announce the situation, and they'll all talk. So at one point, the, the guy in the back of the room tries to interject, tries to say something, you, you know, and, and tries to give us two cents and so forth. And, you know, not being rude, but just they're all, everyone's talking and pitching in and so forth, and they just kind of like, you know, uh, kind of talk over the person, and, and uh, the person's, you know, not going to fight to make his voice heard. He just sits back down. It's quiet the rest of the meeting, and before the, the meeting was completely finished, he got up and, and stuck out the back door. Well, right as he was leaving the back door, a person was walking in. And the person walking in recognized him immediately. And, uh, oh, said, oh, hey, how you doing? And, and again, the guy walked out. And, and so the, the person walked in, who was late to the meeting, said to all of his friends and colleagues there, hey, did, 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 you, get, did you guys get him to help? Did, did, did he say he would help us or something? Or, and I said, who? And he said, that guy just walked out the door. I said, no, who is he? He said, you guys don't know who that is? And they said, no. They said, that's John D. Rockefeller. He, he's got the big yacht out in the, in the harbor. The big yacht? Hello? <laughs> he was just in our meeting. And you guys didn't recognize him. Didn't realize he was there. He could have funded single-handedly every project that we want to do. And you guys had no idea he was even present. Because no one even took the time to even ask him. Sometimes we have opportunities that come our way that are just, they're amazing in terms of their breadth and width. And I think many of them are set up by God. The Word of God says that many of us entertain angels and don't even know it. Angels. You know, we don't even realize it. In fact, Hollywood has capitalized down and done all kinds of stories on angels, make them smoking cigars and all kinds of nonsense. Uh, They've always got to take the, the, the perfection and pervert it somehow. But uh, <clears throat> there's, I believe that there's that kind of thing going on all the time where God's giving us incredible divine moments and taking a lot of time and effort to set them all up. And many times we just let them pass right by. Opportunities to evangelize, opportunities to share our faith, opportunities to move in the miraculous, lay hands on the sick, opportunities to do incredible things, bring healing and reconciliation in situations where people are at odds with one another. I believe God's giving us those kind of opportunities all over the place. And I don't want you to lose your opportunity this Christmas because I believe each one of us are going to be given an opportunity during this holiday season to be a light and to be a witness and to be a power for the kingdom of God. Yes. And I believe that with all my heart because yes. I've seen it take place over and over again. And you hear the story about the salesman who went to Africa, right? So they sent a salesman to Africa. He's a shoe salesman. He sent, he, after... after uh, after just a few days of being there, he sends back a, a telegram. says, hey, listen, uh, this is a no-go. 
uh, it's, it's no good where he sent me. And we thought there was you know, possibility, but trust me, there's no possibility here. You guys have sent me to a place where nobody even wears shoes. So, you know, what's the, what's the use? I don't want to stay here anymore, waste any more of my time. Please send me some tickets so I can get home and uh, get on with it, and we'll, we'll find another place to try to go and, and, and uh, develop a market. So they, they send him his tickets, and he goes home. A couple months later, they send another guy out there just to double-check. In fact, I don't think he was even sent to that area. I, think, I believe the book that I, that I read about this said that he was, um, I think this was out of Tipping Point, the, the book Tipping Point. I believe that the, the story said that he was going to another town that was nearby and actually visited this town where his uh, colleague had gone just to, just to go there for whatever reason. And so he went there, and he, and he went to this village, saw the same set of circumstances, and wrote back immediately within hours of being there, send me every shoe that you have. Incredible opportunity is here. Nobody wears shoes. <laughs> Two guys looking at the exact same thing. One guy standing at the back of the elephant. One guy standing at the front of the elephant. And both of them describing what they see. And both of them being exactly right. Both of them being exactly right. Authentic, genuine, giving the, the, the right information as they see it. But not seeing it for what they really need to see it. They need to be like Elijah's servant. He was sent back to the same window to look out the window. They were surrounded. And they were in trouble. And his, and his servant came back to Elijah and said, man, we're in trouble. He's, we're surround. He said, go back and take another look. He said, well, I, look, I saw, you know, my, my eyes are, you know, tell you, I'll do a test. You know, I, I got it. I, I, I got 20-20. I can see. Trust me. You're the old one. I'm the young guy. No, go back. Take a second look. Because you need to see with your other set of eyes. How many of you know you've got a physical set of eyes, but you also got a spiritual set of eyes? You've got, a, you've got a, a, a sensor that we have that is, you know, our, our, our earthly sensors, taste, touch, feel. But then you've got a set of spiritual sensors, too, that we need to tap into from time to time. And too many of us don't tap into them enough and regularly enough. I want to cover a couple of things with you about missed opportunities. The first is we need to realize that we have the power to be a blessing in someone's life. Now, I know that sounds really elemental, I mean, it's like, come on, Kevin, this is Christianity 101. You're telling me you, you, one, of my point, one of your points is going to be we need to realize we have the power to make a difference in someone's life. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that. Because I believe that a lot of Christians who have been Christians for, for 10, 15, 20, 25 years live their lives as though they don't believe that. Now, they would never declare that. They'd never say that. If you asked them that on a questionnaire, they'd say, oh, yes, of course we have the ability to make a difference in someone else's life. Yes, absolutely. But they don't live their life like that. I remember this one pastor in Australia telling the story of how uh, he decided to, just to shake up things a little bit, it's a big church of thousands of people, he decided to have the number one atheist in Australia come and visit their church. This guy was on all the t television shows and, you know, debunking Christianity and, and, and coming against all religions and so forth and just being nonsensical and, you know, just a waste of time and for weak people and all this kind of nonsense, right? So they, he asked this guy to come and speak to their church. One of the things he said that uh, reported back that was one of the most poignant moments is when he was standing, this, this atheist was standing in front of the church and he said, he said, you guys don't live your lives like you really believe 
what you even say you believe. He said, so if you don't live your life like you really believe it, why in the world would I ever be tempted to live my life like you do? When you yourselves declare things, but you don't live your life like, you do, like, like, like what you say you believe. If you really believe that there is an entity out there named God, and that that entity is all-powerful and mighty and lives inside of you, and because of that endows you, imbues you with incredible supernatural powers that you can call upon at any given moment to help you accomplish His will, you guys should be, the, the, the kind of people you should be is, is off the chart. And I don't see that in you. So he says, your story, what you say, doesn't match how you live. And what you live is speaking so loudly and shouting so loudly in my face that I can't even acknowledge what you say you believe. Because of what I see you believe in terms of how you behave and act it out. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. That whole thing of mumps and measles, you know. Yeah, if, if you tell me you've got measles, you know, I got measles, I got measles. But what you really have is mumps. What am I going to get? Am I going to get what you say you have? Or am I going to get what you really have? I'm going to get what you really have. Forget what you say. You can declare all day long. But I'm going to catch what you really have. And it's the same way when it comes to spiritual beliefs. I can say all day long, I'm a giving person. Oh, yes, I believe in giving. I'm a giving person. I'm generous. Uh. Then all you got to do is crack someone's checkbook and start looking at where the expenditures are. And look at the amounts. Go back over a person's life, you know, and, and see how generous they are with their time, with their abilities, and so forth. How many times they responded to people's needs around them. What they were willing to give up and sacrifice in order to meet another man's need. And you can determine rather quickly how generous they truly are. So we need to make sure that our, that our life matches what our, what our message is. So that there's no dichotomy between the two. Because the biggest thing against Christians today is, I don't want to become a Christian because all they are is a bunch of... Thank you. How come it is all of you know how, exactly what word that, it, that is? Because it's so universal. And we've got to do something to stop that. We've got to break that cycle where they can call us hypocritical. They're calling us that because that's the way it is. I don't care what you mean. We've got to acknowledge that and we've got to own that. Maybe that's not you individually. I'm willing to admit this. I don't believe every single person in this room is that way. So maybe you individually are not that way. But we've got to own what we are within the, within the world today and how they see us. They're, see, they're saying that for a reason. They're not just saying it to say it. They're saying it for a reason. And somehow we've got to break that perception. If we're ever going to reach this world for God and count for Him. Why don't we see it? Why don't we realize the fact that we have the power to be a blessing in someone's life? There's a lot of reasons. But part of that is, is because we're always looking for the big flashy thing. We're always looking for the big, huge, you know, rah, rah, rah thing. And we don't realize that sometimes God is in the smallest things. There's that verse in the Bible where he came and he, and he rent the, you know, the, 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 the land with an earthquake. And he came in with a powerful wind. And the Bible says he wasn't in the earthquake. And he wasn't in the wind. And he wasn't in the, the other uh, the lightning or whatever else, the storm that came, whatever else there was. I think there's three of them. And then, and then he said, but he was in the still, quiet voice. 
And sometimes I think when we're in our pursuit of God and so forth, we, 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 we're always looking for the big, spectacular, burning bush, you know. And, we, and we, sometimes we miss the still, quiet voice, the God who attends the funeral of a sparrow, the God who's interested in even the smallest, intricate details of our lives. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He's interested in those things. And so we're always looking at the macro, and God oftentimes is interested in the micro. And we need to see the micro with God. We need to adopt His eyes and see the way God sees. The Bible is full of examples of people who missed their opportunities. In Noah's day, the people that Noah was ministering had an incredible opportunity. They had an incredible opportunity to jump on a boat and get saved. 125 years. They had 125 years worth of chances. And 125 years of Moses preaching the same message, and they couldn't catch it. He had never rained. He was saying it was going to rain. They'd never seen rain. The Bible says it never rained before them. So he was preaching a story of, hey, it's going to rain. And they said, no, we've never seen that before. And here they was big and building this huge, massive boat. They could see that huge, massive boat. And yet they wouldn't believe. And then all of a sudden, a raindrop hit somebody on their forehead. And all of a sudden, the reality started to sink in. And it was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, to the person who had no God. And now it's banging and clawing on the sides of a boat, and it's too late. They missed their opportunity. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? Incredible opportunity Lot had. Lot is the one with the opportunity in this story. He had an opportunity to change that place. Him and his family could have gone in there and started making a difference. Yet what we find out that in the actual story was, Abraham says, if there's just 30, if there's just 20, if there's just 10, if there's just five, there's just... Lot's life and his family's life wasn't even enough to even get a couple of converts. I mean, that's how bad it was. His life was a big zero when it came to winning people and bringing people over onto the side of Christianity. What a sad commentary on his life that it was. And even with that, God was willing to save his life. Noah's people missed their opportunity. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot missed his opportunity. The two thieves on the cross is a great story of how one got his opportunity and the other one missed. Both in the same condition, both in there for that moment, that incredible moment. And they both had the same opportunity afforded to them, yet one went one way and one went the other way. Seeing the same thing. Presented with the same set of circumstances. One goes one way, one goes the other. How do you account for that? It's just amazing. Then the classical story of the Good Samaritan. Here is this guy on the side of the road getting beat up. And here the, 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 the Levite comes by and the priest comes by. Neither one of them do a thing to help their fellow brother who's a Jew. And then a Samaritan comes by, the enemy of the Jew. Jews can't stand Samaritans. They're, they're, just, they're just the worst of the worst of the worst. And here the Samaritan pulls out money from his pocket, takes him to an, an inn, opens him up to his own personal network of people, talks to the guy at the inn and says, here's some money to take care of him, and if there's any more money you need, go ahead and spend it. When I get here, I'll pay up the bill. Willing to go the extra mile, like this church is. 
willing to pay for, the, for, the, for what it takes, to, willing to dig out the money and get the money for the ministry to be able to touch the people and be able to minister to them in the way they, they need to be ministered to, just like this church. And yet those other two missed their opportunity. And it took a Samaritan, the enemy of the Jew, to minister to his needs. Incredible. Incredible. The, stories, the Bible is full of stories that are just so, so impactful that we need to get the, the story of we need to understand. 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son, Jesus, to this world to be our Savior, to be our risen Lord. Luke chapter 2, verse 9 through 15 says, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The shepherds had a choice that night. They didn't have to come. They didn't have to, they didn't have to look at the stars and, 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 and listen to the words and respond to it. The, the three wise men didn't have to, you know, do what they did. Wisely seek after Jesus. The Bible says today, wise men still seek him, which I believe is so true. They didn't have to do that, but they did it in response to the things that they saw and the things that they were hearing and the opportunities that they realized were theirs and were for a moment. You're not always going to get back the same opportunity. And let me tell you something. Those of you blown in the past, this isn't the story about, this is the story about, about you, for you to sit there in, your, in the audience and say, and feel a sense of regret. Oh, all the opportunities I missed and all the opportunities. That's not what this story is about this morning. This story is about the opportunities that are coming your way now. Learn from those things in the past. But, the Bible, but Paul said, I do this. One thing, I, I cut off the past. And I press on towards the mark, towards the prize, towards the high calling of Jesus Christ. If you've missed it in the past, declare you've missed it. Repent and say, Lord, give me the eyes to see it so I never miss it again. Whether it's an evangelistic opportunity you think of some loved ones that left this world and you didn't get a chance to witness to them or you had the chance and you didn't catch it. What's done is done. But I'll tell you what, you can declare right now, you can draw a line in the sand. You can say from this day forward, as for me and my house, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, I can't talk about the whole world, but I can talk about my sphere of influence. As for me and my house, and from this day forward, And make sure you don't let it happen again. Three examples of how most of the world received the Lord. Well, the first is the story of Joseph and Mary. They're the ones that first heard the the news, right? They're shocked beyond belief. Mary can't believe it. Joseph is, you know, his head is spinning, trying to wrap his mind around it. And then in the middle of all this, there's a census, and they've got to go back to Bethlehem, their hometown. So she puts her her on on a donkey, and here they go out, trying to get home with her being pregnant, that would have been a, a journey that they would have traveled on for a long period of time, exposed to the elements and camping out at night and so on and so forth. It's so hard for us to relate to that today because we just have nothing to relate to it. I mean, for mo- most of us, the last time you were caught out camping in a tent was, you know, when you were a kid or something. I mean, you just have, you just have no, 
And the last time you ever went on some kind of journey where you went from one location to the next, traveling through the countryside, was for most of us never. So there's hardly, there's hardly no way to relate to the reality of the, of, the, of the weight and what they went through. But they went through all of it. And they got to the other side. And when they got to Bethlehem, they realized there was a town that was packed full of people. Everyone was there for the census. And the people that were there, if they would have known, if they would have known who that woman was pregnant with, they would have found a room. Believe you me, they would have found a room. All you need to watch is is this current day when a movie star goes into a hotel and there are no rooms. Guess what? There's miraculously a room that's available. Someone gets shuffled around, something gets done, and there's another room that's opened up all of a sudden. I believe if they would have known who that was, if they would have received their opportunity, if they could have seen with the eyes of the Spirit, they would have made room. And there would have been room. As it was, Jesus ends up being born in the squalor of a pigsty, basically. We always have it depicted as this beautiful, you know, the barn with, you know, hanging incense, you know, and, and, and the beautiful, like, animal skins draped everywhere and big, thick, lush fur animal skin and, and the baby laying in the beautiful animal skin and all clean and hermetically sealed and, you know, with the thing on its finger, you know, checking its temperature and oxygen level and, you know, incubator lights on it and all that kind of stuff, you know. That's not the, what happened. There was a feed trough, and they feed all the animals out of the same trough. Back, day, back in those days, archaeologists are telling us, and it's most likely he was born in a hollowed-out cave because they would just hollow out a, a cave or an indentation in the rock, and they'd put a little uh, chintzy rock uh, wall in the front of it, and they'd have all their animals, animals in that little area, most normal folk. And then they'd have one feeder there that would feed the pigs, the lambs, everybody, chickens, all of them. And they dumped the, 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 the slop in there. And, they, and the animals, were, they came and they, here, we need a place to put the baby. And wiped it. They didn't have a, you know, heat, tree, uh, heat uh, steam pressure washer out there, you know, with, with, uh, with disinfectant, you know, disinfecting the whole thing. It wasn't all, you know, freshly painted and you know, all sealed up and beautiful and nice, you know, with flowers and scriptures and, you know, Stuff in, you know, carved in the edges of it. That, that, that's not what he was born in. He was born in the squalor of a, of, of a stinking pigsty. And the, 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 over, the, the, the overreaching dominant odor in that place would have been poop, not incense. And to that is where Jesus decided to enter the stream of humanity so he could come and rescue us and be there for us. It's an amazing story. It's an incredible thing. Our, there's no religion like Christianity where we still believe that our, that our leader, that our founding leader is still alive today. It's an incredible thing. All these people, Joseph and Mary had to go through what they had to go through. People didn't recognize it. They missed their opportunity. <clears throat> then Herod, you know, Herod's trying to take his head off. Herod's trying to kill him. He sees him as a threat. He tells the three wise men, go try to find him because I want to worship him. Yeah, bull. And the three wise men realized that right away. They don't tell him anything because they know what he was going to do. So the leaders of the day rejected him. The people of the day had no clue. The Jewish nation, what about them? They were the church of the day. 
They were the church of the day. How did they respond to him? Oh, no, 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 no. They were looking for some champion to come. They were looking for some general patent to be born that could come and defeat the Roman Empire and, and liberate them from their captors and so forth. They were not looking for some little baby born in the squalor of a pigsty. What could he do? He couldn't do anything. So they, they, they didn't see it. Luke chapter, uh, John chapter 1, verse 10 and 12 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them, the ones who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The Pharisees ignored him. The government ignored him. People of that day ignored him. But oh my God, that didn't stop one, one bit of the reality of who he was from coming through. So how can we take more advantages of our opportunities that we're given? Well, number one, we need to realize who we are in Christ. Realize that we are blood-bought, born-again, spirit-free. You know, they, you ever see the movie Malcolm X? Well, he, gave, he has this moment where he's in prison, and this, uh, this uh, Muslim guy comes up to him, this mentor Muslim dude gets a hold of him and says, Who are you? He says, he says I, I don't know, I remember his real name. I'm Chuck Smith, whatever, you know, some guy. Chuck Smith, yeah, right. And uh, he says, uh, he says uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Bill Smith or whatever the case is. He says, no, you're not. He goes, that's your slave name. That's not who you are. Who are you? He says, well, I, I, and he tried to talk about what he does for a living. He goes, no, no, that's not who you are. That's what you do. Who are you? And he goes through this thing with him several times. Finally, he says, you don't even know who you are. How in the world can you come? You don't even know who you are. But let me tell you something. Every Christian better know who they are. Yeah. Every Christian better know. If someone ever asked me that, I would look them dead straight in the eye and say, I'm a blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled, son of the living God. Yeah. That's who I am. Yeah. And every Christian better know that. And better know that they know that they know that they know that. Because it's the knowledge of that. And the realizations that come with that, the reciprocal realizations that come with that knowledge that give us the power to be and do the things that we are supposed to be and do. At the basis of all of it is the knowledge of who we are in God. To the point where Paul says you can walk boldly into the throne room. Not, not, not uh, pridefully, there's a difference, but boldly. Because you realize that the blood of Jesus Christ has bought you away and access in. And God, all he sees, he doesn't see your sins. He sees Jesus' blood, his son's blood. And he sees that you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Joint heir with Jesus Christ. Wow. It's amazing. How can we take more advantage of this? Realize who we are in Christ. Number two, realize Christ is in us. And that he makes a difference in a person's life. That Christ, we are the temple of the word of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Angels can't do that. No other created being that Christ has can do that and perform that little trick. None of them. I heard a guy once say that it's the best explanation I've ever heard for why Satan did what he... You think, why would Satan... He's in heaven, right? Heaven is by definition heaven. I mean, when we want to talk about a place that's incredible, we say it's like what? Heaven. I mean, it's become an acronym for, ah, you know, perfection. So in that perfection, how could Satan 
Go the way, you know, and how could he uh, convince a third of the, you know, how could you, in perfection? I've often thought, you know, if uh, you know, people get, pastors and stuff get upset because you know, a few people get upset in their church and they leave or whatever. And whatever. I said, look, Jesus had a church split. <laughs> Jesus had people lead heaven. If you, you can't lead any better than Jesus does, let me tell you. If people would have left under Jesus' leadership, they'll leave under anybody's leadership. So don't, don't take it too much to heart. Don't do stupid things, but don't take it too much to heart. So anyways, back to my story. So here he is. Here he is. All that he access everything else. Well, somebody put forth this idea. There's no proof of it spiritually, but it's just an interesting thought. Maybe when he heard the plan that the Godhead had, the Trinity had, to create mankind, and not only create mankind, but to create them in his own image. That is the distinction. That they would be made in his own image. Lucifer was not. The angels were not. Now they've been imbued with incredible powers, but they don't have that power. And they'd love that power. And that he got so raving jealous, and got so mad and so upset, that that was the trigger point for his discontentment and ultimate leaving. It's an interesting, it's an inter- interesting proposition. But I've never had anybody else explain it any better for what could have possibly drove Satan to go down the road that he did, and a third of the angels too. But it's an interesting pop- proposition. I won't charge anything extra for that this morning. <laughs> That's included in the price of admission. Realize who you are in Christ. Realize Christ is in you to make a difference in someone else's life. And then realize it's our responsibility to reach out, that we are the arms and we are the mouthpiece and we are the eyes of Jesus. And if we don't do it, who will? And if not now, when? If not us, who? If not here, where? It's going to be, there's nobody, this church uh, back east had this really cute thing they did. They did an obituary, like a false obituary. And they said, the death of someone else, somebody else. And somebody is dead now. Mr. Else has been here in our church for years and years and years. And you know what? Every time we needed some extra money, Mr. Else would always be there. In fact, somebody always came to people's homes and ministered to them and did everything. But you know what? Somebody else is now gone and passed away. Who will take his place? Really clever. Really cute. There's a lot of truth in that. Come on, you guys. Come on, you guys. Let's own it. Let's own it. Let's own it. I want to close with this. We have incredible opportunities that come our way, and we miss them so often. And this is one of the stories I think this, it illustrates this the most. And an admonition to each and every one of you during this holiday season to not miss our opportunity. So I want to close with this. It's an example of a teacher who was, had a very difficult student and how she dealt with that student and what took place. Teddy Stollard was one of the least. He hated school. He had musty, wrinkled clothes. His hair was not combed. He was a kid with a deadpan face, expressionless, sort of glassy, unfocused stare. When Miss Thompson, his teacher, spoke, to Teddy answered in monosyllables. He was unattractive, unmotivated, distant. He was hard to like. In fact, the teacher got to the point where she had just basically given up on him. He was frustrating to be around, annoying, and so forth. And eventually the teacher got to such a state 
that she even got a perverse sense of pleasure when she was able to mark an F on one of his papers. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote this in the margins. Shows promise, poor home situation. Second grade teacher wrote this. Could do better, mom is ill, little help at home. Third grade teacher, good boy, slow learner, mother died last year. Fourth grade, Teddy's slow, but well-behaved. Father shows no interest. Teddy brought a Christmas gift to his teacher. And it was a gaudy rhinestone bracelet. Some of the rhinestones were out of it. And the ones that were there were all chipped and scratched and stuff. And the locket didn't work right. I mean, it would, the class would, would close, but it wouldn't work right. So brought that, and he brought this stinky ugly perfume and gave, 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 gave the perfume and the bracelet to the teacher as a Christmas gift. And the kids laughed, but the teacher realized the moment and how important it was to, to little Teddy. And so she wisely put the, put the bracelet on and so forth, looked at and, and put some of the perfume and acted like she was interested. After school, Teddy waited to talk to his teacher. He came to his teacher and said, Teacher, you smell like my mom. And her bracelet looks really pretty on you. After Teddy left, the teacher knelt and asked God to forgive her for her horrible attitude and the way she had looked at Teddy all this time. The next day, Miss Thompson was a new teacher. She was imbued with new, a new perspective, and she had a new heart towards all of her kids. And she would be patient, and she would sit there and work with each one of them the way they needed to be worked, worked with, especially Teddy. And it didn't frustrate her anymore that he was slow, and she'd sit there and work with him and so forth. The rest of the year went fantastic. Teddy's scores improved dramatically as a result. A few years later, a letter came from Teddy said, I want, wanted you to be the first to know I'm graduating second in my class. Another few years went by and another letter came, I'm graduating first in my college class. The university has not been easy, but I've enjoyed it. Love, Teddy. Another four years, Dear Miss Thompson, today I am Dr. Teddy Stollard, MD. I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, and I want you to sit where my, my mother sat, was going to sit. I want you to sit where my mother would have sat if she were alive. You're my only family. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy. Miss Thompson went, and she thanked God for the opportunity she had to help Teddy during that time she had with Teddy. I think you and I have opportunities like this all the time. And they slip through our fingers. I don't know what heaven's going to be like on Judgment Day. I really don't. We have little glimpses. The Bible says we're given to count for every idle word. I don't know how that's going to go down. All these billions of people going through Judgment Day. I mean, Judgment Day is going to last for eternity. I don't, I don't know, how, you know. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to all work. But I once heard a preacher say, 
And this may be a little overdramatic, but I once heard a preacher say that the loudest thing you're going to hear on Judgment Day are the screams of people being plunged off into hell, saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you let me know? And I think during this holiday season that the greatest gift you can give anybody is the gift of salvation. That is the greatest gift you can give anyone. And I think we need to just be bold. I don't mean like, you know, we come over to your house and start passing out tracts and being all weird. I'm not talking about any of that. The Bible says they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb, by what Jesus did, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. The one thing that nobody can take away from you, nobody can is an expert, is on your testimony. And you can share your testimony with full authority and nobody can debunk you. Nobody. All they got to do is just sit there and go. Because they can't argue with what Jesus did in your life. They weren't there. They don't know. Stop thinking you got to have all these scriptures in your head. You got to go to Bible school. You have a doctor. You got to have a, 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 a doctor of divinity. You got to have all this kind of stuff before you can minister to someone. Just minister out of who you are. Just say, look, this is what Jesus did for me. I think he could really help you. I think it would change your life. And just in your area and your sphere of influence, don't miss your opportunity. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray, Father, that you touch each person here. And Lord, I pray, Father, you'd open our spiritual eyes to the opportunities that are available so that we don't have a Teddy Stollard run through our life and not take notice of it. Lord, so many years ago, Lord, a Sunday school teacher took time with me. Her name was Kay. And on June 17, 1967, I bowed my knee as a little five-year-old in a Sunday school class in Evangelical Free Church in Palm Springs. And that Sunday school teacher, Kay, led me to the Lord. And for 20 years after that, she sent me a, 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 a card on my birthday. For 20 years after that. And it made such an impression on my life, God. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would someday return the favor and that we would plant back, Lord, the things that have been planted in us. Lord, so that we could have the impact, Lord, that you want us to have. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, maybe you're here this morning and you haven't walked with God since you were 12 years old. Back then you gave your life to the Lord and whatever, but this somehow over the time and over ages, you just have drifted away from God to the point now you're not even sure if you're saved. You don't even know if you go to heaven. Maybe you've never known the God. Maybe you never gave your life to the Lord. Whatever the case is, doesn't really matter to me. I don't care about the theology behind it. The point is you're here today and you're not certain about what's going to happen to you when you die. You don't have to walk out like that. It's so easy because of what he did. He did all the hard work. He died on the cross. He made the way so that all you've got to do is believe. Allow your life to be changed and start living for him. I'm going to ask you in a few seconds to, if you'd like to, for me to pray for you for the sinner's prayer to raise your hand. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to go to some secret room. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you and give you a None of those things. I'm just going to ask you with every head bowed, every eye closed to raise your hand. And I can pray for you. And we can get this thing settled today. But don't raise your hand unless you're willing to allow your life really to change. Unless you're willing to start reading your Bible Start coming to church. 
and allow your life to really start being changed. The devil knows that Jesus is the Son of God. The devil knows that Jesus died for mankind. The devil believes all those things, and the devil's not going to heaven. It's not enough that you believe those things. You have to give your life over to him. You have to bow your knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and recognize him as Lord of your life. That's what Satan has never done. So if you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning, or you'd like to rededicate your life to the Lord, I want you just to proudly and boldly shoot your hand up right now. Yes. Anybody? Yes. Anybody else? 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 Just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. And we're going to get this thing settled this morning. Anybody else? Anybody else? Church pray. I feel like there's two more. You know what? I never do this. If you know anything about me, I don't ever wait on an altar call because I don't believe we should ever talk people into it. I believe there's two more, and I'm just going to wait just a second longer. Is there anybody else? Just raise your hand quickly. If you're even in debt, yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? There's the one. It's one more. One more this morning that will raise their hand. Yes. In the, okay, awesome. Everybody, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I've sinned, and I've fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, I know you are the Son of God. And I know you died for my sins. And I know you rose from the grave. And Lord, I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I bow my knee to the King of Kings. And I ask you, Lord, give me the strength to live my life for you every day. I love you, Jesus. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning.